And welcome to Tyson on Sports, the college football edition. I'm Tyson Whiting. We'll talk everything in the world of week one of college football. Is, that's right. The offseason is finally over. I'm certainly glad about it. What's Utah's chances to win the Pac-12? And living in the state of Utah, everybody's optimistic about just about every team in the state. We'll talk about BYU. they got a difficult schedule, but can BYU persevere? I think they got one of the best offenses in school history. And Utah State, they got a tough week one against Alabama. We'll talk about them, and we'll also make our predictions for the college football season. Who's going to the college football playoff? Who's winning the Big Ten? Who's winning the SEC? The offseason's been filled with a lot of talk about conference realignment. NIL deals, and boy, we're trying to figure out. I needed a Phil Still magazine just to figure out which quarterback is playing for which school. And because of that, because of all the transfers, especially at the high-profile positions, quarterback, we see a lot of running back transfers. I think because you see all this shakeup year in and year out in college football, and it seems like this year is no different, there's going to be a few more surprises and maybe a few more disappointments than we normally would see. So I'm interested in seeing what week one has in store just to figure out who's who. You know, could this be the year that Miami and Mario Cristobal, could this be the time where we can actually say the U is back and actually mean it? You know, I think Miami might be in a great position with Mario Cristobal, who I think is one of the best coaches in the country. But living in the state of Utah and living in the Salt Lake Valley, you hear a lot about the University of Utah and I think there's good reason for it. You know, there's uh, on ESPN College Game Day in week zero, everybody was talking about who were their playoff teams. Desmond Howard completely went off the rails with his four. He did that just to get attention, so we're not even going to acknowledge that. But there was a couple of panelists on ESPN, for lack of a better word, because ESPN really has kind of dropped off a little bit in terms of their quality in college football broadcasting. But you know, a couple of them had Utah as their as their pick to be one of four teams in the college football playoff. And I think Utah can get there. I mean, you look at their schedule, it's very manageable. After all, you get USC at home. Um, some of the other conference games, you know, you're at Oregon on November 19th. We're really not sure what Oregon's going to be without Mario Cristobal. You know, they're at UCLA on October 8th, but otherwise the schedule looks very manageable. Phil Stills got it as the 55th toughest schedule in the country so it's possible that Utah not only needs to win but they need to win with a few style points and that begins with a road trip to Florida that's right they're taking on the Gators and it's certainly unprecedented territory for Florida who hasn't played a Pac-12 opponent since 1989 that was the Freedom Bowl against Washington where Florida lost 34 to 7 and then after that game Steve Spurrier took over as Florida head coach and the Gators Really have been on a roll since then, but they went 6-7 and seven last year, partly because of a terrible defense. They gave up 52 points to Samford of all teams. They gave up 49 to LSU. Uh, the defense just wasn't very good. They gave up 40 points to South Carolina. I think that Utah's chances are going to be pretty good in this game, albeit on the road against a good SEC opponent. But the... Really, the thing that I'm trying to figure out is just how good Florida is. I think everybody knows how good Utah is. They return a lot of starters from a team that went to the Rose Bowl last season. And, you know, you look at Cam Rising, you know, the, the story that he's, uh, you know, you talk about Utah maybe being a dark horse playoff team. I mean, Cam Rising is probably a dark horse Heisman Trophy contender. Last season, he was outstanding. I remember Cam Rising showed up in the second half of the San Diego State game, and even though Utah lost that game to go to 1-2 and two on the season, 
Cam Rising just took over, and really Utah went on a roll from there as, you know, his stats were outstanding last year. Uh, you know, it wasn't like he was putting up 4,000 passing yards, anything like that, but the thing that Cam Rising did an amazing job of last year was he got the ball to all his weapons. He really spread it out well, and he didn't make those big turnovers. You know, he only had five interceptions last year. He didn't make the big mistake, and that was a big reason as to why Utah had so much success. And I think when you, when you talk about, you know, the success of Utah's offense last season, I think it's because of uh, the great balance that they had. And that's something Kyle Whittingham, year in and year out, always preaches. And that's something he always wants in his football program is great balance. And he has that with Tavion Thomas, who had 21 rushing touchdowns last year, a 5.4 yards per carry. You know, they can really run the ball. They got multiple guys who can tote the rock, but they also have multiple NFL quality tight ends. I think Dalton Kincaid and, and uh, Brant Kuthay, I think they're both NFL quality tight ends. You know, they got some good receivers. Solomon Enos certainly uh, is capable. Uh, so I think that you, you got the weapons outside. And, you know, you got the running game. You know, you got a pretty decent offensive line, certainly a lot of size on the old line, even though there's not a ton of experience. I mean, they got a lot of sophomores and freshmen, a couple juniors on the offensive line. But I think Utah's offense is going to be outstanding this season. And because of that, if Cam Rising can have a big game in the swamp in Gainesville, Florida, against a good SEC team, you know, that could obviously, you know, if he has a great game, if he throws for four touchdowns and – 350-plus passing yards, you can all of a sudden see him move up the ranks in the Heisman campaign. And after all, you look at Utah's schedule after Florida, you know, you got Southern Utah, San Diego State, both those games at home at Arizona State. Who knows what to expect from the Sun Devils, who had a very tumultuous offseason. You're home against Oregon State. I mean, Utah could be easily be 5-0, and at worst, maybe 4-1 and if they don't beat Florida on Saturday, 4-1 and one, heading into the big showdown at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. So a lot of optimism for the Utes who, you know, you, you could talk about being a dark horse playoff team. I think that, you know, when you think about what they need to do on Saturday against Florida, I don't think that it's necessarily you have to put style points together. I mean, after all, you're playing a good SEC team on the road. You just simply need to win the game. And even if you don't win, if you put together a good showing, maybe you lose on a field goal at the end, I think that you know you can still uh, achieve your goals and really achieve what you want to achieve. You could even maybe be a playoff team if you run the table, uh, you know, winning your last 11 regular season games and then uh, winning the Pac-12 championship. You know, All the goals are still ahead of Utah regardless of what happens in the swamp. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens as the Utes take on Florida in one of the more intriguing Week 1 matchups. And we'll talk about Week 1 here later on on the Tyson on Sports podcast. We're talking college football here. A lot of intriguing Week 1 matchups. I'm looking forward to Oregon and Georgia as Georgia, the defending national champions. They still have Stetson Bennett behind center. And I know there was a lot of naysayers, and I was probably one of them because, after all, he's not a very big guy, but he just simply got the job done last season. And, you know, Georgia's got a lot of good players, seven returning starters on offense, only three on defense, but Georgia is the type of program that reloads. They don't necessarily rebuild. They reload at Georgia, and Kirby Smart's done an amazing job as he is 66-15 and 15 in six seasons in Athens. You know, you think about the local teams here living in the Salt Lake Valley. You know, Utah's obviously got a lot of optimism, but I think BYU 
has a lot of optimism heading into their season. I think it's one of BYU's best offenses in, in program history, and I say that because they got the ability to be balanced. You know, they got a good running back in Christopher Brooks, and I think you talk about the great running backs that Utah has had over the last 20 years. You know, going all the way back to Luke Staley, the Doak Walker Award winner in 2001. You know, they had Tyson Williams for a little bit. Uh, last season, or really the last two years, Tyler Algier has been amazing. He had 23 rushing touchdowns last year. He's now playing for the Atlanta Falcons. And I think Christopher Brooks, I think, is a lot of optimism. I don't know if he's going to be nearly as good as Algier, but Brooks almost had 1,000 yards for Cal last season, and he's a big running back. 6'1", 235 pounds. He's tough to bring down. I think that he's going to bring that balance that BYU's offense needs. And really, you think about BYU, and obviously everybody talks about the passing game, and really that goes all the way back to Gifford Nilsson in the mid-1970s. But when I think of BYU, at least in my lifetime, whenever BYU's had a great offense, it's been mirrored with a great running back. Last couple years has been Tyler Algier. You know, when Jamal Williams was there, BYU really could run the football with the best of them. You know, you think about when BYU hasn't had good offenses, it hasn't necessarily been because of bad quarterback play. It's because they haven't necessarily had good running back play. You know, when other people are thinking about John Beck and Max Hall, well, I think about Curtis Brown and Harvey Unga. In 2001, you know, Brandon Doman had a great year, but I think that about Luke Staley. And even the 1996 Cotton Bowl team. You know, everybody talks about Sarkeesian and two NFL tight ends and Chad Lewis and Etula Mealy. But the first thing I think of is them running the ball time in and time, you know, almost 360 rushing yards, if I remember right, against Utah. And uh, really, BYU could run the ball whenever they wanted to. I think that's where BYU's offense can be dangerous. When you have the ability to run and pass, you can have an unpredictable offense. You know, you can pass the ball in running situations. You can run the ball in passing downs. I think that BYU's offense could be dangerous because of the balance. And because of multiple good running backs, Christopher Brooks, I'm really excited about him. And really with him and the size that he brings to the table, being about 235 pounds, there's a guy that's going to be tough to tackle. And you get to the third and fourth quarter, I think BYU won a lot of games over the last two years because Tyler Algier was just impossible to tackle. And there were games in particular. Washington State comes to mind last year. Uh, Virginia there towards the end where uh, they were able to run the football whenever they wanted to. And that's why they won the games. It wasn't necessarily because of a great passing game. It's because of BYU's ability to run the football. Last season as a team, BYU averaged 5.1 yards uh, per carry, and Tyler Algier was a big part of that. Can Christopher Brooks be as good as Tyler Algier? I'm not sure, but I do know that at 235 pounds, come the second half of games, especially if BYU was able to control the football the way they did in some of these games last year, I think BYU is going to have a chance to win some of these games against quality opponents. And you think about their schedule, you know, BYU's got a tough one. I, I wouldn't overlook South Florida, especially if the weather is going to be bad on Saturday. South Florida had a bad record. In fact, they're 3-18 and in their last two years. But remember, BYU only beat them by eight points at home uh, last season. I think South Florida is going to be a tough test, and they're well coached. And I think South Florida, even though I'm not sure if they're going to get to a bowl game this year, I certainly think they're going to be a better football team. So watch out for South Florida. And then after that, I mean, you're talking about home against Baylor. A lot of people are picking Baylor to win the Big 12 
at Oregon. You know, Oregon, who knows without Mario Cristobal, I think that they're going to start to take a turn for the worse because I think Mario Cristobal is one of the best coaches in the country. But they're at Oregon, then they're home against Utah against Wyoming and Utah State. They got the neutral site game against Notre Dame. I think for BYU to have a successful year, they're going to have to find a way to win one of those two games, either Baylor or Oregon, because I think if they can win one of those games, I think they're going to be 4-1, and one, if not 5-0, and oh, heading into that Notre Dame game, which is going to be a national TV game in Las Vegas on October 8th. So it's going to be important for BYU to get off to a fast start. And if I'm thinking about three things, in particular, that I'm concerned about with BYU. Number one is going to be the health of Jaron Hall. He did not play 13 games last year. He got hurt. And because of his ability to run the football, it's kind of that you talk about that dual threat quarterback, but that also gives you an opportunity for him to get hit more often, which means that you know there's probably a, more, <laughs> probably a greater chance he's going to get hurt, obviously. So... I think for Jaron Hall, he's going to have to stay healthy and start 13 games. I do have some confidence in Jacob Conover, the backup. You know, he stepped in and did a good job against Utah State last year. But I do think that if BYU wants to have a great year, Jaron Hall is going to have to play 13 football games. And, you know, people are talking about, you know, people are talking about Cam Rising and maybe the NFL future he has. It's kind of interesting when I look at the stats of Jaron Hall and Cam Rising, they're very similar. Both quarterbacks last season had 20 touchdown passes and five interceptions. You know, both guys had a pretty similar completion percentage. Cam Rising's completion percentage, 63.8%. Jaron Hall's, 63.9%. Quarterback rating, Jaron Hall has a bit of an edge at 156.1 last year to Cam Rising's 146.7. It's kind of interesting when you think about the two quarterbacks uh, in the state of Utah, and the prominent programs, Jared Hall and Cam Rising are very similar. And, you know, people are talking about Cam Rising maybe being an NFL quarterback. Jared Hall, it's really the same way. And it's not necessarily the legs as much as Jared Hall being an accurate passer. And we talked about the running game of BYU and the balance. I really like their group of receivers. You know, Puka Nakua, uh, Gun- Gunnar Romney. One of the guys I think is going to have a breakout year for BYU is Keanu Hill. Last season, he had 18 catches, 19.1 average. He's that deep threat that uh, BYU needs, and I think he's going to have a great year. And it's kind of interesting to see Isaac Rex atop the depth chart considering he suffered a serious injury last season against USC. If Isaac Rex is ready to play, you know, he was outstanding in 2020, catching a lot of touchdowns from Zach Wilson. I think Isaac Rex is going to be one of the better tight ends in BYU history, just like his father, Byron Rex, who was one of the really good BYU tight ends in the early 1990s. You would talk about the questions for BYU. Yes, Jaron Hall's health is certainly a question mark, but I think that the defense is secondary. I'm a little bit concerned about the cornerback position. There's a lot of size there. You know, D'Angelo Mandel, 6'1", 192 pounds. You got some other quarterback cornerbacks who are about 6'1". Um, I am concerned, though, about the defensive secondary, especially when you go up against a team like Oregon or Baylor. Um, you know, I'm concerned about that, and I'm really concerned about the pass rush. You know, Last season, BYU only had 20 sacks in 13 games. Can BYU get more pressure on the quarterback? And it's going to be really important when you, when you think about some of these big games. When you're playing Notre Dame, especially when you're playing Baylor, who really uh, handed BYU their lunch last season, uh, you know, can they get pressure on the quarterback on any sort of consistent basis? That's certainly going to be a big question for the 2022 season. 
And, you know, think about the local teams. You know, we always talk about Utah and BYU. I think Utah State's going to be intriguing, even though they got no chance against Alabama. Uh, Alabama is about a 40, 41-point favorite. I think at one point they were a 38-point favorite. I think for Utah State, simply covering the spread and, uh, you know, losing by less than 38 would be a win for Blake Anderson's crew who got a victory last week against UConn. We'll talk football every a couple times every week here on the Tyson on Sports Podcast. We'll do a podcast early in the week recapping all the action from the previous week. And then on a day like today, we're, up, we're previewing the upcoming games. In this case, really the upcoming season. We'll talk about the Pac-12 as um, I think Utah's chances to win the South are pretty good. But I also think USC is poised to have an outstanding year. I think USC is going to get off to a fast start just based on their schedule in the first half of the season. USC opens up with Rice, and then they're at Stanford. That should be an intriguing game on September 10th. Then they're home against Fresno State, at Oregon State, home against Arizona State, home against Washington State. Heading into that showdown at Rice-Eccles Stadium on October 15th, it's possible that USC is going to be 6-0, and Utah, at the very least, you know, regard, you know, depending on what happens against Florida in the swamp, it's possible that Utah can end up being 5-1 or maybe 6-0 heading into that game as well. And that game is going to be at Rice-Eccles Stadium, and I would certainly predict that that could be the matchup that ESPN College Game Day shows up in. I think that the it's possible that Game Day will be at Rice-Eccles Stadium, downtown Salt Lake City, on October 15th when USC is at Utah. And, you know, and unlike a lot of people are really still unsure about USC, I think they hit a home run for once in their head coaching hire and getting Lincoln Riley. And it's good to see USC, you know, really make that move to go all in on an elite coach because I was really surprised about the last three or four head coaching hires at who USC ended up picking up. I mean, it's not some some little truck stop university. I mean, USC is an elite football program, and you can get the best players in Southern California, and because of your national name, you can get just about the best players in the country, which really made it surprising that they were getting guys like Clay Helton and Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. Like, you're USC. You should be able to get the top-of-the-line best coach in the country. I think they did that in getting Lincoln Riley, who went 55-10 and 10 at, or at Oklahoma the last few years. Lincoln Riley brought his quarterback along with them. Caleb Williams, you know, you talk about dark horse Heisman candidates. You know, we talked about Cam Rising a little bit earlier. I think Caleb Williams is certainly a good dark horse Heisman Trophy candidate. Maybe even not even a dark horse. He might even be one of those top five candidates, top five favorites for the Heisman heading into 2022. I think for USC, you talk about Utah's playoff potential, but if USC comes into Rice-Eccles Stadium and wins on October 15th, the rest of their schedule is pretty winnable. You know, your toughest test for USC probably outside of that Utah game in mid-October is the final two games of the regular season at UCLA and home against Notre Dame. You know, I think USC is going to have a monster season and I don't know. I mean, really, it comes down to what USC can do against their three toughest opponents. I think at the very least they're going to go 9-3. and three. And unfortunately for other teams in the Pac-12, whether it's UCLA fans or Utah fans, Oregon, Oregon State, just about every fan base is going to be a little bit concerned when they head to midseason with the thought that USC might finally be back. We're talking football here on the Tyson on Sports Podcast. You know, you think about the top two Pac-12 teams, I think Utah and USC are one and two. 
the third team in the Pac-12 is UCLA. And I think you do have to hand it to the athletic director at UCLA for having a lot of patience in Chip Kelly. After all, you think about the first three years uh, in the Chip Kelly tenure, beginning with 2018 when they went 3-9, and nine, and that was followed up with 4-8 and eight, and then 3-4 and four in the COVID-impacted 2020 year. And then finally, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who seems to have been there for a long, long time. It seems like Robinson's been there as long as Chip Kelly has been there at UCLA. You know, Thompson Robinson had an outstanding 2021 campaign where he really was efficient not only throwing the football but running it in Chip Kelly's dual threat spread offense. You know, UCLA is not as good as USC or Utah, but I do think that they're going to give both Utah and USC everything they can handle. And so I think for UCLA, who outside of uh, those two games, Utah and UCLA, they've got a really manageable schedule. They do play at Oregon on October 22nd. That is following a bye week. UCLA's schedule is pretty easy. After all, their three non-conference games are Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama. You know, they play two teams in the state of Alabama, but definitely didn't want to play Auburn, Alabama, UAB, some of those other teams. And so I think just by based on what the schedule looks like, you know, we talked about Utah and UC, USC, you know, that big showdown on October 15th. I think it's it's very likely if UCLA simply wins the games they're supposed to win, toughest one might be a Friday night home against Washington. UCLA could end up being 5-0 and heading into the showdown at, Rose, at the Rose Bowl against Utah. So USC, I think, is primed for another pretty strong year. Uh, who knows what to make of Arizona State? I mean, they did go 8-5 and five last year, but it seems like there's a lot of turmoil there with Herm Edwards. Arizona's, I think, is getting closer. You know, Jed Fish really needed a, he needed a year or two to build that program, who seemed to be at rock bottom when he showed up before last season. So I think Arizona's going to get a little bit better. Colorado, unfortunately, with Carl Durrell, might just be what it is. You know, a team that's constantly 5-7, and 4-8, and eight, something like that. It isn't your daddy's Colorado Buffaloes with Bill McCartney, uh, who was you know, constantly winning 9-10 and 10 games every year. Uh, unfortunately for Colorado, this just is the new norm, and I don't know that's going to really turn around with Carl Durrell anytime soon. Now, as for the Pac-12 North, I think you, uh, I think Oregon's still the favorite. You know, they went 10 and four last year, but made a coaching change. I think Dan Lanning, who was the defensive coordinator at, at Georgia last year, won a national championship. I think Lanning is certainly a bright mind, and he's got a good quarterback in Bo Nix. At least I think Bo Nix is a good quarterback when he was at Auburn. And so I think that Bo Nix is going to be a little bit different style of offense because I don't know that Bo Nix necessarily, even though he can run the ball and he does have good running ability, I don't think Bo Nix is going to run the ball as much as you normally would see from an Oregon quarterback. So you might see a little bit more of your traditional pro style at Oregon, but I think it is going to work, and I think Oregon is going to have a, a pretty good run, even though they do have the 33rd toughest schedule in the country, and they got a tough one against Georgia. In four minutes here on the Tyson on Sports Podcast, we'll talk about my favorite games for week one of the 2022 college football season, as we're certainly looking forward to it. Oregon's the favorite in the Pac-12 South. Washington, I, I'm not sure about their hire in, in Kalen DeBoer, um, you know, who didn't necessarily have that much success at Fresno State over the last two years. He just went 12-6, and six, and um, so I'm not sure how good Washington's going to be. I think Oregon State, you know, if you're talking about a team that's a little bit off the radar that could possibly 
have a really, really good year. And Oregon State, and I think their great head coach, Jonathan Smith, who I think is one of the brightest minds. And even though he's only 16 and 28 in four seasons, I got a feeling that Oregon State, who returns nine starters on defense, I think they're poised for a pretty good year, especially if they take an, an, an extra step forward on the defensive side of the football. Uh, Stanford with David Shaw, I could see them having a little bit of a bounce back if Tanner McKee has a big year under center. Uh, Cal's a team I've always liked is Justin Wilcox. I think he's one of the better coaches in the conference. But talent-wise, I mean, who knows? They only got eight starters returning from a team that went 5-7 and seven last year. seems like in the office that I work in, you know, here with the Utah Grizzlies, we talk about Washington State football a little bit because we do have some Washington State fans that are in the office. And so we talk Cougar football a lot. I think for Washington State, it's just can they find a way to, um, uh, you know, last year they finally won the Apple Cup for the first time in a long time, but it seems like they got to break in quite a few new starters on offense. There's only four starters returned from last year. Who knows what to make of Washington State, and I think they're one of the more intriguing teams because they can finish as high as second, maybe third in the Pac-12 North, or as Phil still has it, they could possibly finish last in the Pac-12 North. There's a lot of balance. There's not really a bad team in the Pac-12 North this year, but I don't know that outside of maybe Oregon, if things fall right for them, I don't know that there's necessarily a dominant team in the Pac-12 North this season. There's a lot of intriguing matchups here for week one. I'm Tyson Whiting. We can, you can follow me on Twitter, at Tyson on Sports. I think in terms of the early Saturday kickoffs, I think the most intriguing one is North Carolina at Appalachian State. You know, North Carolina's got to replace Sam Howell, who was a re really good quarterback for North Carolina over the last three or four years. I think Drake May, as we saw last week against Florida A&M, I think Drake May is certainly capable of filling the shoes, and uh, I think North Carolina is going to have a pretty decent year. They got a tough schedule, though. They got Notre Dame uh, at home. They got Virginia Tech at home, who might be a surprise team. They have to play at Miami this year, uh, but they do avoid playing Clemson. And so I think if North Carolina can win their two or three biggest and toughest games in their schedule, um, I think that uh, they might have a good year. And Appalachian State might just be one of their toughest games uh, because it seems like year in and year out, Appalachian State's one of the better group of five teams. Unfortunately, the 10 o'clock kickoffs don't have a lot of intrigue unless somebody really upsets the other. I think if you're talking about upset possibilities, though, South Dakota State at Iowa. For some reason, I got a feeling, and I don't know why, but I got a feeling South Dakota State is going to give Iowa quite the test at Kinnick Stadium uh, on Saturday. So watch out for that one as my upset possibility in the early kickoff window. And who knows, maybe Colorado State gives Michigan a game as Michigan for the first two weeks are alternating quarterbacks. They're going to have one quarterback start the opener, and then they're going to have somebody else. I think Cade McNamara, if I remember right, is going to start the opener. And then week two is going to be started by J.J. McCarthy. And then after that, Jim Harbaugh is going to make a decision as to who his starting quarterback is going to be. I guess you can do that when Colorado State and Hawaii are your first two opponents and UConn uh, with Jim Moore, the younger, uh, your third game, all of them going to be at home. So Michigan's got an easy schedule at least early on. We'll talk about the Big Ten a little bit later on in the program. Uh, but it's possible maybe Colorado State gives them a game, eh, maybe for a half. I think just in terms of wanting to see something interesting in the early kickoff window, hopefully you see some upset possibilities, or at least games are close heading into the second half. As we head to the afternoon kickoffs, Oregon and Georgia is going to be an intriguing game. That's going to be the neutral site game. Neutral site in quotation marks, obviously, is <laughs> Georgia's pretty close to Mercedes-Benz Stadium over there in Atlanta. 
Um, so Georgia's going to have a ton of fans there. Oregon's interesting because right now they're the favorites in the Pac-12 North, and uh, they got a quarterback that's got SEC experience in Bo Nix. So he's certainly not going to be overwhelmed by playing a team like Georgia. I think Georgia wins, although I do think Oregon's going to give them a game. I think the line right now is about 17 points, and I think that's about what it is. I think Georgia's going to win about 34-17. to 17. If you're thinking about kickoffs that uh, – you know, really games that um, I'm intrigued about uh, that might be a little bit under the radar, we got a top 25 matchup, Cincinnati – who's ranked 23rd in the country against 19th-ranked Arkansas. That game's going to be pl played in Fayetteville. For BYU fans, they might not uh, look at that game over, you know, all that close because BYU plays at 2 o'clock. That's one of the more intriguing week one matchups in my mind because I think Arkansas, you know, I think if Arkansas were in any other conf conference than the SEC, I think they'd get some more attention. After all, Sam Pittman last year led Arkansas to a 9-4 and record. And I think they were one of the biggest surprises in college football. And it's just old school football without, with Arkansas. You got a big offensive line full of NFL talent. Um, and you got good running, you know, you got a good running game. It seemed like last season, Arkansas really had a ton of, um, you know, a ton of running, running attempts. You think about uh, the offense of Arkansas, you know, everybody talks about spreading it out and being innovative and throwing the ball 50 times a game. Arkansas ran the ball 588 times last year, and they only threw it 314. There's no secret as to what Arkansas is going to do. They want to pound the football, and that's where I think it's going to be intriguing for BYU on October 15th when Arkansas faces them. Who knows what the record's going to be? I don't think Ar I don't think Arkansas is going to be nine and four again. I think just based on Arkansas having the fourth most difficult schedule in the country, I don't know that they're going to be. Uh, nearly as good record-wise as they were, were last year. But uh, I think Arkansas and Cincinnati is an intriguing matchup. And really for Cincinnati, they got to break in a new quarterback. But they did go to the college football playoff last year. And they're going to the Big 12 next season. So uh, Cincinnati certainly on the way up. What can Luke Fickle and company do for an encore? they got a new quarterback in Ben Bryant, uh, who's a transfer from uh, Eastern Michigan. Uh, you know, Cincinnati, they were only returned five starters on defense. So can they be as good on that side of the football? They do return eight starters on offense. So uh, Cincinnati uh, does have a lot of weapons returning. But it'll be interesting to see. that. I think that if you think about matchups, everybody wants to talk about Ohio State and Notre Dame and Oregon, Georgia. I am really intrigued by Cincinnati, Arkansas, uh, 130 kickoff on ESPN. So I think the time slot that uh, has the best games really is the 130 time slot, you know, 2 o'clock. You got BYU and USF. I see it being a close game in the first half, and I think in the second half, BYU just hands a football to Christopher Brooks, and I think he just takes over from there. And they're really it's similar to how the formula was with Tyler Algier. The last two years where BYU won 21 games, and in a lot of those, they were able to have a successful running game. You know, everybody thinks about the passing game when it comes to BYU, but I think that BYU is going to win and it's going to be the running game that's going to be the difference against South Florida. So watch out for Christopher Brooks. I think he's going to have a monster first game in a BYU uniform. After all, he had some good years at Cal. Uh, you know, last season he had just about 1,000 yards. Really, to think about what he did two years ago, he was also pretty good. So I think Christopher Brooks is a guy to keep an eye out for. And I think BYU ends up winning that game 28-17. to uh, I think the defense might be a little bit of a concern, and I think USF's going to come ready to play, but I think BYU does win by 11 uh, and goes to 1-0. Other games I'm intrigued with, 
I think I'm sort of intrigued by Tulsa at Wyoming just to see if Wyoming can bounce back after a tough effort against Illinois. Um, you know, Utah, Florida is going to be a big one in the in the uh, evening kickoff, uh, five o'clock Mountain Time Zone kick. Uh, I'm really not sure what to expect from that game. You know, Florida's defense really struggled at times last year. I imagine their defense is going to be better. I think for uh, Utah, as long as Cam Rising doesn't make the big mistake, you know, he only had five interceptions last season. If he can take care of the football, I like Utah's chances. In the second half, it's kind of like with BYU where it's going to be a close game and then the running game is going to take over. If Utah's got a little bit of a lead going into the second half, can Utah's running game take over and do a number on Florida? One thing to note with Florida is they had a pretty successful running game of their own, although they do have to break in a few more running backs as it looks like their top three ball carriers from last season. Best quarterback, uh, Emory Jones, who was their best running back last season as he was their leading rusher, and uh, Florida's also without their top two running backs from last season. You know, can Utah get to where it's a second-half game where they can rely on uh, ball control? Uh, I think they can have a chance to win. You know, with Florida, who really knows? With their first-year head coach, Billy Napier, you know, they got a good quarterback in Anthony Richardson, but when it's all said and done, if Florida's defense is better, I think they got a chance in this game. If the line's pretty even, you know, I think Utah's favored by a couple points. I think that Utah ends up winning this game 31-27. to It's going to be a good football game, and I think that regardless of what happens, you know, Utah's going to have a chance to win the Pac-12, and I think they're the favorites, and I have them winning the Pac-12 championship regardless of what happens. You know, I think their playoff possibility, as long as they lose a close game to Florida, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a must-win. Their whole season's on the line on Saturday, but I do think Utah – um, needs to come away and put together a good showing. And if they do, they, I don't think they need to worry about style points. I think that just winning a game on the road in the SEC against a good SEC team in Florida with a new head coach in Billy Napier I think is going to be enough. So I got Utah winning that game 31-27. to Other evening kickoffs I'm intrigued by, I mean, obviously Ohio State and Notre Dame's a big one. For Ohio State, you know, you think about college football playoff teams – I think Ohio State's definitely in the mix. You know, they got the 14th toughest schedule in America, but they do get Michigan at home this season in what should be a revenge game. They have to play at Michigan State. But if Ohio State can take care of business at home against Notre Dame, I think they should really, um, you know, be one of those favorites uh, to win the whole thing. You know, I got Alabama, Ohio State. Those are two of my, two of my playoff teams. I really don't know what, uh, what else to expect. I think uh, you might see a second Big Ten team uh, jump into the mix. You know, Michigan doesn't necessarily have a tough schedule. Um, you also could see, you know, maybe Wisconsin being like a dark horse team. You know, we'll see what happens with Penn State when they take on Purdue. I could see Penn State having a good year this this season. I see a second SEC team in the mix. You know, Desmond Howard throughout Texas A&M. I, I think that that is a possibility, although they have a pretty tough schedule. They have Miami at home. And they have Al They have Arkansas at home. They got to go on the road to face Alabama, but uh, down the stretch, you know, if LSU doesn't have a good year, and if Auburn ends up disappointing, I think that Texas A&M does have a pretty easy schedule in the second half. I could see Texas A&M being a playoff team, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and I don't know. Clemson uh, has a chance. You know, I don't. I don't know if the ACC really has a big chance if it's not Clemson or Miami. Uh, in the mix, you know, could you see a second Big Ten team? 
I think this is going to end up being the year where maybe Utah uh, ends up going to the college football playoffs. So my four teams are Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Utah. That's my four college football playoff teams. But as for Ohio State and Notre Dame, uh, you know the Irish have a pretty tough schedule as they do every season. Who really knows how Marcus Freeman's going to do replacing Brian Kelly at Notre Dame? The Irish, uh, according to Phil, still have the 44th toughest schedule in America. If they can get by Ohio State, I don't know that they will. But um, you know the 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 Irish could end up with three. You know three and one could be the record heading into the BYU game on October 8th because after Ohio State, Notre Dame hosts Marshall. Cal, and then they're at North Carolina. Um, this seems like a pretty manageable schedule for Notre Dame. You know, they're home against Stanford, home against UNLV. They're at Syracuse. They're home against Clemson. Clemson will be coming off a bye. And really, I think for Clemson, it just depends on what you think of DJ Uwilagalale. Um, You know, is he going to have a bounce back here? Because it's <laughs> he was a bit of a disappointment last season, although it looked like he started to pick it up towards the end. And everybody says that um, – he had a pretty good offseason and sets him up for success uh, in 2022. But for Notre Dame, if they can find a way to win every game except for Ohio State, they should be there towards the end. And Notre Dame, quite frankly, should be favored in just about every game other than Ohio State. Remember that Clemson game is going to be at Notre Dame Stadium. Uh, Notre Dame at USC, November 26. If USC is as good as I think they're going to be, and if Notre Dame – ends up winning all the games that they're favored in, boy, that's going to be an electric matchup on November 26. So there's a lot of fun games. Notre Dame and Ohio State probably tops the list for me as the most intriguing and exciting week one game. You know, Pac-12 after dark doesn't seem to be all that good. You know, we got Idaho at Washington State. We got Boise State at Oregon State. I think Boise State and Oregon State is going to be intriguing because I think Jonathan Smith's done a great job at Oregon State, and I think the Beavers – uh, do have a chance to uh, have a pretty successful season considering they return nine starters on defense. I think Oregon State could end up being a surprise team in the Pac-12, so that's an intriguing late kickoff. You know, it, it's always interesting when you think about the office dynamic in a college football season. You know, you have BYU fans, you have Utah fans, but then, you know, you get a place like the Utah Grizzlies, and we have people who didn't even grow up here and are fans of just random teams. For some reason, it always seems like we've got a Washington State fan that ends up working for the Grizzlies. we got Evan Kent, who is a big Washington State fan, and he joins us on the program now. And, Evan, we have always have people that talk about Washington State football. It always seems like we got a Washington State type of person in the building. Evan, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. I just wanted to go over some quick game notes for this week's matchup against Idaho. It's the first time these two teams are playing each other in the Battle of the Palouse since 2016. Last time Idaho won was in the year 2000, 38-34. So it should be kind of an exciting one for people who are quite a bit older than me. This was the big game of the year back in the 60s and 70s. Which you weren't around for. Was not around. <laughs> My grandma was, and she remembers this as the key rivalry game. So, big deal coming up. From what I hear, it's only like an eight-mile difference between Washington State and Idaho. It only is. It's only eight miles. Uh, the Idaho campus is right on the Washington border and Idaho border. And back in the day when my grandma was there, you had to, if you lost in Moscow and you were a Washington State student, you had to walk the eight miles back, the walk of shame. There's not many games, late kickoffs. You know, you got Idaho, Washington State, you have Boise State, Oregon State, you have Kent State, and Washington. 
Why should we watch Idaho, Washington State? Well, let's give me the first game that Cam Ward, the highly touted transfer out of Incarnate Word, is coming out. He was highly recruited by Ole Miss, Washington State, and several other big schools, and it'll be his first debut with the Washington State Cougars. Hmm. So there's a reason to watch. Hey, Washington State had a pretty good second half of last season. They ended up winning the Apple Cup in blowout fashion against UW. Um, you know, Washington State's a team, even though Phil Stills got him picked to finish last in the Pac-12 North, I think that the Pac-12 North is going to be intriguing because, you know, even though Oregon's probably the heavy favorite, you know, Oregon State looks like they've got an interesting team with nine starters returning on defense. Why is Washington State, um, you know, you think about somebody's got to finish last. Why is Washington State going to be a team that could end up being a breakthrough club and maybe finish in the top three in the North? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the, the Jake Dickert coming in and that stability that he's giving them. It's going to be his first full season as the head coach. He's bringing in a new offense, which is similar to what Mike Leach ran. You know, he's bringing in that, you know, that final stability after the Nick Rolovich year, you know, the COVID vaccine scandal and all that fun stuff that was going on there. I think he's going to have the guys ready to play, and I think they're hungry. I think they're tired of being considered you know, the bottom of the Pac-12 North. And to be honest, there's a lot of competition this year in the North, but I think they can finish second or third. Um, I would be lying if I said I think they can finish first. I think Oregon State's going to be a be a dark horse this year, and I think this is the first year Oregon State's actually going to beat Washington State in over, I think it's 12 years since the Cougs have lost to the Beavers, but I have the prediction for the schedule this year, and I think the Cougs will finish 8-4, and four, but I think Oregon State will finally take that one. So you got some optimism there for Washington State having a good year. I think so. I think that their schedule isn't too hard, and I think there's always that one upset they have every year, and I think it's going to be against Utah. Utah's coming up to the Palouse for the first time in four years, and I know Utah's going to be a good team, but I think the Cougs got them this year up in the Palouse. Obviously there are some intriguing matchups, Oregon, Georgia, you know, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, Notre Dame. What's kind of an under-the-radar game that you're looking forward to watching on Saturday? I'm really looking forward to Wisconsin-Washington State. It's going to be the first time the Cougs have opened an early season game against a major opponent, and they're heading out to Madison. Um, I think it's going to be a better game than people are predicting. I don't think the Cougs are going to win, but I think they're going to lose by 14 or less. So that's one of those games that, uh, you know, Wisconsin was a little bit of a disappointment last year. You know, Wisconsin, uh, first half, uh, really struggled. They had some big games and ended up losing most of them, ended up finishing 9-4. and four. That's a game on September 10th, and we got a full week. We might have to bring you back next week and talk more about that Washington State-Wisconsin game and recap because, after all, Pac-12 after dark is Idaho and Washington State. We're going to have to talk about that game as well. I would love to come back and talk more about Cook football. You know it's my big passion. And one thing I want to leave you with before I go is Renard Bell, the top receiver at Washington State, is heading into his seventh season with the Cougars. That's the most of any Cougar football player. It seems like there's always players, especially at BYU, where it seems like you look at them and go, wait a minute, they've been there for forever. You know, the UCLA quarterback, Thompson Robinson, it's just like um, you've been at UCLA, it seems like, longer than Chip Kelly's been there. I know. It seems like some of those guys, especially with the COVID year, are going to have a long college career. So. In fact, I saw Dorian Thompson Robinson. I thought, didn't you play for Terry Donahue back in the early 1990s? <laughs> oh, that's what it feels like Renard Bell. He's played for three WSU head coaches. So played for Mike Leach, he played for Rolovich, and now Dicker. Speaking of Mike Leach, are you going to follow what he does at Mississippi State this season? Oh, for sure. I think he'll have another 7-5, and 8-4 and four a year. I think he's going to get that offense going again. But, you know, Mike Leach teams never have a top defense, and he's playing in a hard conference. So I haven't talked much about the SEC, and we're about in the latter portion of the program. It's always intriguing. I don't think you necessarily have to look at the records with the SEC teams. Like Mississippi State went 7-6 and six last year, but hey, somebody's got to finish below 500 
in that conference, and especially with the division that Mississippi State plays in, I think Auburn's going to take a real nosedive this season. I think they got the they got the toughest schedule in the country, according to Phil Still. Brian Harson, it was a tough first season, and he really didn't have a good offseason at all. I think Auburn's going to absolutely nosedive, and Auburn after the season might be looking for a new head coach. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but thanks for having me on. I always love to talk about WSU football. Evan, it's always fun to have you with us, and um, you know, you're obviously in the office, and uh, we have fun here in the Grizzlies office. You know, I always, and I mentioned just before you came on, it's always interesting, the people that, that come in and out. You know, we had Craig Handy, a big Nebraska fan. I send my condolences to him because it's another tough loss for them against Northwestern. It's always intriguing to see which different teams we follow. Last season with Steve Day here, he went to Bowling Green, so we always ended up following Bowling Green. Um, you know, Teddy, Teddy Sibilski was here for a little bit. He's a Wisconsin guy, so we always talked about the Badgers. And it always seems like every year, whether it's you or whether it's Dominic a couple years ago, it always seems like we got a Washington State person in the building. It's hard to escape us. We're everywhere. You know, you got Old Crimson. Have you ever seen Old Crimson? The uh, that flag that they have at ESPN Game Day. Have you ever have you ever met Old Crimson the flag? I have not met the actual original Old Crimson, but he was on campus when I was there my freshman year when it was Game Day, and I, unfortunately I didn't wake up in time to go, and it was packed, so I didn't get to see him. But I was really hoping to. Maybe they'll have another Game Day in the future if the Cougs can continue their winning ways. Who's a bigger celebrity in Washington State, Drew Bledsoe or that flag? Probably the flag. Drew Bledsoe is a pretty big celebrity, but everyone everyone knows the flag. Well, everybody knows Drew Bledsoe now. It's it's a shame that I'm getting old enough to where. Yes, I remember watching Drew Bledsoe play, but yeah, I have to think back. It's like when he played at Washington State, you were you were just a twinkle. I was. I was you, not. You're just a twinkle in the in the eyes of, of of your parents. I would say for older fans, Drew Bledsoe is more famous. But for us, you know, younger fans, we've seen the crimson flag more. Now, are you young enough to not even remember the Ryan Leaf days with the with the Rose Bowl appearance? I've only ever heard of it from people who were before me. Speaking of which, Ryan Leaf, I think, is going to call that Washington State game. J- Jason Gesser, is that before your time, or are you starting to creep into Evan Kent territory there? He's still a little bit before my time. I remember Holiday and Tool. Those are the big ones, the first ones I really remember. Garner Minshew, is he your, is he your all-time favorite? He definitely is my all-time favorite Washington State quarterback. Talking Washington State with Evan Kent. Evan, we'll, t- we'll have you on next week and talk. We'll recap this game because we're going to do two different podcasts. It's going to be an extraordinary uh, Tyson on Sports college football edition where we're going to recap the games, and then later on in the week, on like a Thursday or a Friday, we're going to preview that big game against Washington State in Wisconsin. That's going to be fun. I look forward to that. Evan, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. That's Evan Kent. And we didn't talk much about the SEC. We will next week on the Tyson on Sports College Football Edition. And I think that will wrap things up. After all, we had a pretty good show. It turned out to be a longer show than I thought. We're, in a, we're ranging around 47 minutes. We apologize for that. But, hey, we're having some fun talking football. We'll come back next Monday, and we'll recap. That's right, next Monday's Labor Day, but we're going to do a show. I'll do it for my home or something like that, and we'll recap week one. And then later on in the week, we'll preview week two and we'll have Evan on to talk Washington State and Wisconsin we might even have Bo Wilkinson on as after all he's in the office too he's a big BYU fan we'll have him to talk BYU and USF as well as previewing the big game BYU and Baylor that's going to be one of the more intriguing week two matchups that's coming up next week on the Tyson on Sports College Football Edition until next week I'm Tyson Whiting and it is what it is enjoy the college football and we'll talk next Monday right here on the Tyson on Sports Experience podcast, the college football edition. You can follow me on Twitter at Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyson on Sports. I'm on Facebook 
Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not good-looking enough for that. But, uh, hey, it is what it is. We'll talk next week right here on the Tyson on Sports Podcast.